Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Because I just didn't have like a proper upbringing, I don't know if I have what it takes to be a father, even if I wanted to. I was 20 when I had you. Yeah. So at 20, I didn't even know what it was to be a father. You talk about my relationship with my father. I don't know what it was, what, what if I even had what it took. Yeah. It didn't really sink in until you were born. Kia ora, we're your hosts, Julie and Sarade. We travelled around Aotearoa with our soundy Joey meeting immigrant Fano, listening to stories and discovering what is said or not said between different generations. These stories warmed our hearts and broke our hearts. And over this series, we invite you two to listen in on conversations with my immigrant parents. In this episode, we are with Mahe and his dad, Tui. Tui was born in Tonga and came to Aotearoa at a very young age. Mahe's mum is Māori with Whakapapa Tungati Poro. Mahe was raised in Tamaki Makoto in Glen Innes, but currently lives in Mount Maunganui, where he studies and works as a quantity surveyor. At the time of recording, Tui's wife, Mahe's stepmom Lovi, was really unwell and she passed away a few weeks after this episode was recorded. We are extremely grateful to the family for generously allowing us to have this time with them, and we send all our love to them as well. Content warning. The first half of this episode mentions family violence. At the very end of the episode, there is also discussion of losing children. My dad's name is Tui Pofele, and he is from an island off Tonga, actually, a place called Vava'u. His dad is from Leimatua, and his mum is from the main island of Tonga, from Matahau. He's actually one of the kindest people I know. Super nice. Generally, just a, a nice person, really. So my son's name is Mahe Tuifua Ariki Tamihana Pofele. My son is very open. He has a very strong independent streak and he's always willing to help out me, family members or even anyone who needs help. He makes friends very easily and I do love him a lot. Tui's parents' names were Mahe and Manaima, or Naima, and you'll hear both Mahe and Tui referring to Tui's parents by these names also. Tui was raised for a while by his maternal grandma, who was called Akanesi, or Nessie for short. Actually, I don't know much about how it was for you coming over, because I know you came over last. Didn't you stay in Matahau with, like, Naima's family? Yes, no one really explains it to me. I piece together that my Naima came over here, part of that uh, visa-free. Yeah. New Zealand was building up the workforce and you could come over. Yeah. So they come over. So they left me with Nessie. They left me there when I was probably six months old. And then Nessie raised me. So in saying that, from six months up until what age? Because I feel like you came here in primary, didn't you? The same thing. No one, no one tells my story properly because immigration. When I go do my residencies to change onto my passport, they have no record of me entering New Zealand. Yeah, and that's why I always joke and tell them, you know, give my tax money back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I gathered I came really young. So maybe I came over when I was about three or four. Okay, because you're thinking parents working, trying to find a place to stay getting a job, saving the money to pay for the airfare. First, I think we stayed at a flat. Yeah. And that's when the, the, the law started changing. 
family's getting deported. Yeah. Through that stage, I don't know how they managed to get their papers. Yeah, because I've always wondered that because from all the other stories that I've heard, they were safe. Mahi and Naima were safe and everybody was being hidden by them. Yeah. And everyone went to their house. What I gather was one of Mahi's best friends worked in Tongan Immigration. Oh, okay. So he, Mahi would have possibly got insight from him yeah. what to do once he gets into New Zealand. What I learned about my dad was you can guarantee that if you help him, then he will basically definitely pay you back. Yeah. And that's what happened to that particular person. That's Oni. Oh, really? So when Oni, when Oni came here to New Zealand and my dad hooked him up, my dad went and did an interview for a job. Yeah. At Gerard Roofing. Oh, really? So Wait, dad, your dad worked at Gerard? No, he didn't. Oh, Oni did? Yeah, so oh. basically this is... This, this is what board you say would be there. I've never known that. So he was the company you've been working for for 29 years, the same guy that helped your parents out. Yeah. So has but, been there ever since. Yeah. So what it was was, and this was a little bit sad, that the company didn't know who they were interviewing and who they ended up hiring. Oh. So really? my dad did the interview. Oh, your dad got interviewed for the, the job, job, but Oni was the one working. Yeah, so he basically did the interview. He found the job, did the interview for the job, got the job, Came back and said, Oni, you're in, turn up. What? And just work. Okay, I never knew that. That's, that's and, and interesting. That's, and that's, and he's worked there ever since. No, I never knew that. Yeah. And that, that was his standard kind of routine. That's, so I came over quite early. And you remember, because my parents left me in Tonga. I was raised by my grandma. I meet them for the first time at the airport. They come. So, yeah, how did that go? So in order for them to be able, for me to be able to come, my dad made a promise to his uncle that my uncle was going to adopt me and I was going to Hawaii. So what happened was my dad did a bit of a double cross. He's probably regretting. And I was getting in his ear going, you're not going to let these no, no, he's not going there. I couldn't come by myself being so young. So Lola comes and stays with the village. I don't know how long she stayed in the village. And Matahau. Yeah, she oh. stayed there long enough for me to be able to be comfortable with her. Oh, okay. And then she brought me over. Oh, interesting. It also broke Nessie's heart because Nessie didn't see me off. Oh. She said, I'm going to the market, get you some lollies, wait here. Yeah. And then she left. Oh. And then I came. That's quite sad. All I can remember is it's just like a bus ride or like, you know. Wait, so also in saying that, they knew that Nessie loved you. So when Nessie went to the shop, that's when Lola was like, we have to go now. I think they planned it, that, that that's the way she could she could deal with me going. So when I came and I saw my parents for the first time, I didn't know who they were. That would have been hard for you. It was. And honestly, I think that at that, that, that early stage, my relationship with my parents is already behind. Yeah. Because I, I didn't know them. Yeah. And then getting to know them, was a bit harder because Mahi was always working and I was I was home with Naima and Porfele which I got closer to and it was very hard to Porfele being Mahi's dad obviously yeah it was very hard to be to get close to them yeah and I think even as I got older there was still a gap there's a lot of similarities between Botui and Mahe, including the fact that they were both raised by their grandmothers or their grandparents, and that formed a big part of their childhoods because their own parents weren't around as much. I remember stories from Naima when they came here. It was hard to buy bread at the shop because they didn't know how to speak English. Even buying bread and milk was difficult. Like it kind of it really it actually really upsets me a lot because knowing what she was like, and then going into a shop and then having to struggle to ask for bread and milk, that, that, it, it beats me up, eh? Yeah. I, I think the, I think the contents of the struggle is, in, in Tonga, when you go to the shops, the, the bread looks different. Oh, yeah, different. Well, they say it all the time, ma Tonga is way better. Yeah, the bread looks different. And and so does the milk. But also, too, we can say the shopkeeper, uh, I'll be back tomorrow or back on the next day to pay for the bread, and it's okay. Yeah. But in New Zealand, 
you need to be able to work to get money. Oh, 100%. At that stage. And that, that's probably the, the thing of that stuff. You can't prepare for the environment you're going into with without someone holding your hand. And you'd be guaranteed that when they came here, no one took them around the shop and go, this is how we do shopping. Yeah, exactly. This is what you pick out. This is this is bread. This is stuff. Well, they would have, they would have come smack bang on the beginning of like the import of labour. Oh yes, really. And it's um, everyone is doing catch up, so everything was you know learn, do and fail. Yeah. Whether you can weigh it out, whether life was better here than it was. Yeah. Like everything here has to be paid for. Hundred percent. There's no bartering of goods. But in Tonga, and you can Tonga, you can live at your own house. You don't even have to pay power. You yep. can you can cook your food over an open fire, and you can grow your own crops and yep. barter for meat and stuff. Yeah. Even like the alcohol and stuff. Yeah. Alcohol. They drink a lot of kava because that's the tradition. But alcohol wasn't really available. Yeah. That's why you get guys like my dad who drinking methylated spirits and petrol. And, and 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 then in the end, and the consequences of that led to him dying at an early stage. Mm. That's how that's getting into New Zealand. And so getting to New Zealand, my parents both my parents worked. I was home with Paul Fili. And then my parents are wondering why I wasn't talking Tongan. Yeah. Because I used to Paul Fili wanted to do. He sent me in front of the TV. Yeah. So all I'm watching is uh, what, the, what the program was called, Play School. Play School? That's way before your generation. <laughs> and you'd be surprised. I knew how to speak English before Tongan because Borfelli didn't talk, he didn't hardly talk to anyone. Yeah. And that's just how he was. He's a very quiet, quiet man. Yeah. Maha and I were both working. Yeah. So there's no one else just sitting in front of the TV. Mm. And they were wondering why... Like if I jump, so so now I'm eight, eight years old. I goes get the shop and give me give me an orange, you know. Yeah. I go, I go to the shop, come back with a newspaper, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I get a hiding. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that's the thing, you know. They're thinking, when when did you when did you teach me Tongan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's quite hard. Mahi and Tui remembering about how Naima had to kind of recalibrate how things worked here, even in terms of buying bread, because um, here there's like a system of capitalism where it's an exchange of money for goods as opposed to living in a society where it's like a community that everyone knows each other. Mm. You can say, I'll be back tomorrow for this. And like people are working and living for each other everyone's connected, but to suddenly move to a society where everyone's on their own path, it's also individualistic. Like, I read, I don't know, I just thought that was a really um, visual example of, like, a small thing that is lost, just the act of buying bread. So Tui's parents came to New Zealand just before the era of the Dawn Raids, which began in the 1970s where New Zealand police were instructed by the New Zealand government to enter homes or stop people on the street and ask for their visas or passports. And they targeted almost exclusively Pacific peoples, even though the vast majority of overstays were actually from Europe or North America. Mahe said his grandparents had their papers all sorted so they weren't as much at risk, but that they all went out of their way to help others who were at risk. Tui also remembers growing up against this backdrop. So at eight, I start to notice more. Yeah. So we live in a two-bedroom house, which is the 18 Leonard Road. Oh, okay, yeah. 18 yeah. Leonard Road. No, well, listen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, So the back of there is a factory where both Borfelli and Naima worked. Oh, true. So Borfelli was working as yeah. well. Yeah. I think they were making Greg's jams and stuff. So they'd go to work, and I used to know they worked in the back factory. But in the two-bedroom house, the house is always full. Yeah. So I've always got uncles and aunties and that's what my parents tell me but I'm always wondering why is there so many people yeah the house is always noisy yeah everyone disappears during the day and then at night probably after work they all come back and they're all thinking yeah they're all talking talking catching up I remember one story Naima was telling me that 
they would come home and people would be sleeping in the kitchen and the hallways and the lounges and the bedrooms. They'd be like more than there should be in a bedroom. Like it was like, she didn't really go deep into it, but she was kind of like when they knew that the dawn raids were happening, it was difficult for them because they had already got their papers. They were legal. They could be here. But then they also put themselves in jeopardy by hiding all these people, but they knew these people had nothing else to do. Yeah, I think I think the consequences, even though they were okay, they had their papers, it was also that they, they could lose their papers as well. Yeah, correct, 100%. Because you, you're harboring people that break the law. But it, most of these people that come over, not all of them are family. Yeah. So some of these people have already come and they've stayed with their own family. Yeah. And their own family has basically treated them badly. And that's what most of them would hear or they know of, of Mahe Naima. Yeah. And they would come. Yeah. If you hear the word Fagatamaiki. Yeah. So that's basically like a peer, peer groups, people you hang out with. Yeah. So most of the most of the people knew about Mahe. That's how Mahe was. Yeah. He was a prefect at um, school. Yeah. So prefects aren't the most smart, but they're also... They're sociable. Sociable. Yeah. They're approachable. They're personable. From all the stories, he's, he's exactly that. Yeah, and that's why most people know they come. Yeah. And they, they help them because they already know what it's like. They never told me, but just piecing into some of the stories and thinking about it, they would have faced the same stuff. I mean, it's been over a year since the formal apology from the government around what happened in the era of the Dawn Raids, but there hasn't really been that much change in terms of what's happening for, like, an amnesty for undocumented workers here in New Zealand. Mm. Like, New Zealand continues to bring Pacific workers in through the RSE scheme to do low-paid jobs that New Zealanders don't want to do. Um, And these were the same circumstances that led to the dawn raids in the first place. So as we mentioned, Tui's dad was also named Mahe, and in the conversation, Mahe brings this up as he's always wanted to understand why Tui named him after his father. Tui's dad passed away while Tui was still young, so Mahe never got to meet his namesake. The name that we have is the lineage that you hold. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to name you Mahe. Me and my father didn't have the best relationship. That's what I don't understand. But it's, but it's also too, it wasn't, if he hadn't, hadn't made the choices of all the stuff that he did beforehand, he could have been here longer. I sit there thinking about how much love he had for me because he had to bring me over. Yeah. Most of the guys that brought their children over when they were teenagers. Yeah, yeah. And they had no relationship with them at all. Obviously, I've never known why you called me Mahe. Yes. Although Mahe had all these great traits, everyone loved him. He was like the most popular person in the village. Also, what he did to Naima is quite hard to hear. Growing up with her, like her raising me from a young age, I just, I couldn't believe that he would do that. The cheating, um, the beating her up, not not being there, like that stuff bugs me a lot. Yeah. And I guess it's easier for me to do that because I don't know him. Mm. Like I, I hear stories about him, but I don't know him personally. But I know Naima personally, like heavily, like she's embedded in me. She would never talk about all the sad stuff. Actually, she never talked about him at all with me. Not a lot of things, like it was just like I heard her, I hear her talk about him to other people. But I think after he died, I think she just didn't really. So what I take from growing up with Naima is that she brought you guys up and then I was her second chance at being a better parent. She was toughest on me growing up. I don't know why it was, but I, I thought it was because I'm her her husband's namesake or she wanted better things for me. And um, I remember the day I was going to, I was starting my first day of college and from what she told me, she had, she was asking you to get me into a college or get me sorted, but you hadn't done that. So what she did is she went and registered me at Tamaki and then we went to the pawn shop and she sold Goloa Tonga to get me my uniform and my school books. She had no idea what she did there, but like it was like a. I I knew that I had to be successful in her for her because. Obviously, like, prize positions like that to go and sell, like it's a huge thing. 
And when she did that, like it was set in stone that I had to, I had to get educated and be like, I don't know, like get a good job. And so all her hard work that she put into me wasn't in vain. Yeah, growing up, she was very hard. She was actually quite hard on me, and I still carry that today. I'm I'm very direct, and I and I think that's one of the things I learned of her is not to beat around the bush and just like let people know exactly how it was. I think you're right uh, at the start when you said it was a chance for it was the second chance for her. I already knew that you're in her eyes. You're her golden child, regardless. Nearly all the aunties and stuff, they all complain about the children when they get drunk. Yeah. And my mum was just like, oh, you know, I, I like him when he's drunk because he's, he's always happy. Yeah. I like him when he's he's always happy. I like him to be happy. Yeah. And that's what made her happy. And you can see that that's, that's how she raised me. Yeah. And for you, it was a chance for her to, she's already been in this gym. Yeah. Know? She's seen the struggles. She's seen all the kids that didn't get to good school and didn't progress forward. And she's going, okay, then this is how you're going to be. Yeah. Because I wasn't saying for me, it's like a lacquer. Yeah. She didn't. She didn't think. She didn't have that thing. She was. She's trying to cope with being a single parent, raising these children. How am I going to support them? My husband's slowly getting sick. He's going to die. Yeah. And that's where she was. Where you came along. Also, like you said, I was a chance, yeah. a second chance. And also to her to give you all the all the, the tools or the traits that will help you be who you are. So I love my mum. When she did that for you, when she did the pointing and stuff, you start to understand that she's she's learning things. Yeah. Because she wouldn't, she, she wouldn't be able to do that unless she's, she knows how the system or stuff works. Yeah. And also... She helped me such a lot to be able to support and help us grow. A big reason Mahe wanted to do this podcast with his dad was to express some feelings he'd had for a while, some resentments about how he felt his parents weren't around when he was growing up. Tui has quite a few kids in total, including two young boys with Lovi. Mahe is Tui's oldest and sometimes feels like he didn't experience the same father as his younger siblings. The biggest thing is it's just like it's just to have you as a dad there all the time. Because obviously for me, growing up with her, my grandmother, even though I love her, I never had parents, so I just had her. Mm-hmm. And she did all the things that a dad was supposed to do with me. That's probably the biggest thing. I guess it's hard because I know you were going through your own stuff and you got remarried and stuff like that. It's it's weird, like, things that I see you do with up here and Fort in Kingston. Like, I never had that, and I struggle with that. But I see that you are a good dad to them, and that makes me happy because even though they're annoying, I love them, though. I would rather them have two parents than not having parents at all. You probably don't remember this, but the first six years or five years of your life, I didn't work. Yeah, I actually don't remember that at all. For the first five years of your life, I stayed home. I um, didn't work. I used, I used to walk, used to kohanga. True. Yeah. So um, if there was ever a chance that you would talk to, I, I don't know what the term is. Um, Queer. Kuya. Oh, Harata. Harata. Yeah. If you talk to Harata about me, Harata will tell you. Yeah. You're talking about a politician coming to going to Kuanga. So I'd come drop his off and then I'd pick his up for school and and then we would stay stay home until um play and stuff until your mum gets home from work. Yeah. That's when um our relationship started to downgrade because we had juice. Yeah. So for me I thought being how I was brought, um, grew up, we're going to get married, settle down, start building a foundation for you guys. Yeah. But then when she was going to work, it wasn't what she said it was. So she didn't come home. Um, there were the parties, there were the people she met and 
a few relationships he entered into. There was the bills not getting paid, not, and it was all kind of stressing me out. Yeah. Do you know, I've never heard this, huh? I've never, I never actually knew that. I, what I do remember is you being at work all the time, being with Naima up at Hobson. So I had to make a choice there, and it was to ask my mum for help to watch use while I get a job and start working. Also, my own mind was, you know, to be able to make this relationship work because we have used. Yeah. We have used. I want the relationship to work. I have to go start working. Yeah. You're definitely romantic, eh? I guess you're like you've been through all that stuff where you've had us. It was strange having to stay home because um, there's a lot of stigma and stuff that goes along with it. You can see your mum's family, they are got uh, made fun of and, um, and, and, and like it didn't bother me. It wasn't, that wasn't the important reason why I did it. But then when it was falling apart, I needed to make a change. And my mum and them were there and... My mum knew that I was struggling. Basically, that was it. It was the, that she would help watch you yeah. while I was trying to get onto my feet. But then everything goes a little bit haywire because in order for me, for them to get me back on my feet, what is the Polynesian thing? They need money. And not, not just money, but also how do they help me? <laughs> how do they help me? They find me a tongue and wife. Yeah, exactly. You know? And that also becomes a thing because you understand that my partner, my, my whoever I choose, doesn't automatically accept my children. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that made me so that so Noma becomes she's Noma knows this. Yeah, you know, and she also so she starts embracing you more. Yeah, and I become now living in two worlds. Yeah, and trying to balance the both, and that's and that's the life of working so much. Yeah, so working so much because. Your mum is still claiming child support. I'm trying to get that back off her. Yeah. But I still have to work. Yeah. Still have to be able to give Noma money. Yeah. And to, to help use and try to their so-called fix fix things for me. Yeah. To, to marry me off. <laughs> and you know, and and, and and you can see that, and that's and that's what my life was basically working until I drop. And that's the danger with. Don't let anyone force you, tell you they're going to do something, this is the right thing to do. Oh, I think you already know what I'm like 100%. I'm, I'm 31 now and I'm I'm still telling everyone that I'm not getting married. Yeah. Your aunties still tell me all the time, we'll arrange marriages for you, blah, 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 this is it. Like, we'll get it sorted. But I'm like, nah, I'm, I don't want to get married. And then so, so now, now I'm in a dilemma too. My mum's spoken up. This is how we're going to fix you. We're going to marry, off to a, marry you off to a Tongan girl. Do this for me. Yeah. So now, you know, how can you guarantee it's going to work? Yeah. You know, because... Trial and error. You know, I'm already, I'm already struggling. I do like hearing when someone discovers something through the process of doing this podcast and, like, how Mahi was really surprised to hear that Tui was actually a stay-at-home dad for the early part of his childhood. He kind of discovers that the memory that he had of his dad that he's held on to for a long time maybe wasn't the full picture of the kind of father that Tui actually was. It feels like the best function of this podcast. (laughs) But again, like we said before, it is interesting just how similar both of their experiences have been in terms of being raised by grandparents and then they both have somewhat fractured relationships with their own fathers. In the next section, Mahe and Tui talk about what it was like when Mahe came out as bisexual to his dad. Mahe notes that he had an easier time because his sister Lavinia had also come out as queer prior to him. I can't remember what we were doing. What were you doing when you told me? We're at Avenue. No, we're at Avenue. We're at 74 Avenue Road. And I was walking in the driveway. I had just got there. And then I, I just openly told you that I was bisexual. Can I ask this? Were you, how were you expecting me to take it? I knew that I was bisexual. And even if you took it badly, 
I was prepared to just carry on with my life anyways. Because for me, I, I wanted to be fully happy. And I've seen it so many times in families where they express to their parents that they're either gay or bisexual and they take it badly. And then the person who's telling their parent feels so bad and they end up doing something silly. I already knew that I was going to, I was going to get educated. I was going to get successful because what neither instilled in me, but I also wanted to be fully happy. And so I had to, by me being happy, I was just like, I'm going to tell my parents. Obviously I told you. And I think you took it all good from memory. I guess face value, you were okay with it, but obviously you had to deal with Mia Laka and what was going on there. But I've never asked you openly how you felt about it. I remember you gave me a hug and you're like, that's okay. I think that's what you said. And it was just like, never talked about again. You don't understand how much I love you, eh? No matter what you do or become, yeah, I'll always love you. Yeah. For me, being a parent and a lot of stuff that I learned and part of it, like you've touched on about going badly and children taking their lives, it was also, I'd already, I'd already put pieces together. Oh, okay. So I already knew, I already knew about your sexuality. I, like most times I don't pry into your life. Yeah. I remember you always saying, oh, you know, this is who I'm dating or, kind of, you know, let me know that it's a girl. Yeah. But it wasn't really, my biggest thing is, was that you were happy of who you are. It's quite hard because, like, I guess for me, one of the pushing things for me to come out and express myself and my sexuality was, like, because of my sister. Because I've, I feel like for her, her experiences were quite different to mine. Like, I feel like I, I actually... It was almost like I, I had it easier than her and I feel like she got, she had such a shit time coming out. And I think it was for her, she was in the, the hiding and that was probably why. So how would that work for you if I had a same-sex partner and I was introducing them to you or them to the family? Would you have, would that affect you though? Because what I struggle with is like, you may be okay with it for me, but then if I was to bring someone in and introduce them, how would you interact and how would you feel about that? I think it would be the same with any of you that bring a partner. It would just yeah. be the same. There wouldn't be any any difference, you know? Just, just the boys, because Lovie's, Lovie's thinking. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and, and that's the same. It's like... Um, at the gate of all the Mormon churches, it says all is welcome. And it literally means all are welcome. Even against the beliefs. Obviously, there, but I guess the Bible is down to interpretation, right? It's interpretation, because I think that's the problem with people's interpretation. Remember, we're not to judge anyone. Yeah. That's not, and that's, that's part of the problem. So as soon as you judge someone, then that's, that's not your faith, is it? It's just you trying to get me to come back to the Mormon church even though I'm fully Catholic. <laughs> no, what, what, that's all I'm saying. What, 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 what my faith now has helped me think yeah. is to really understand the scriptures. Yeah. Because we all, everyone reads the, we all read the same Bible. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, the, the people say the Bible's not fully complete and stuff. Yeah. And then, but it's all about faith. Yeah. And for me, my faith has helped me become who I am. Yeah. Helped me sort, sort some of my own problems. Hopefully I've become a better person. I think you've you've come a long way. But it's, it's in saying that it's also about you. Yeah. Your, your journey is just as good as mine. Probably not probably not, not less less <laughs> less the relationships. Less the relationships. I am happy. I, I feel I, I if I'm honest, like I am I'm very independent and it's difficult for me to even consider having a partner or learning to be vulnerable with someone else because I'm very black and white and I know what I'm doing, but then I've got to think about this other person and I'm like, um... Well, that's that's very funny because you understand why I don't live in the Tongan world. Why, and I don't... Well, the Tongans are codependent. 
our family is heavily codependent on everything. So part of part of what of that trace is because I was wanting to be independent. Yeah. And that's and that's I think that some of the traces are new, but maybe your independence is more than independence is more than mine. Yeah. But that was like me, I just wanted to be by myself. Yeah, I guess you did that. For me, when you told me about I think it also, I know if it, helped, if it helped you as much as it helped me, like it was a relief, okay, then it's there. Do you know what? It's funny because I had never had a problem trying to tell you. The problem I had was I had already mentally prepared myself that I was going to just move on <laughs> and be and just be by myself and do stuff. Like, even though I've moved away now, but that's for me, for my growth. But, yeah, I think the biggest things for me was, like, just knowing that I wanted to be happy. Yeah, I know. We both know, looking into our families, about the so-called faith that people yeah, yeah. people have, and, but their faith they believe is not the faith that they show, which is really sad. Yeah. But in the consequences... The damage done to that generation or the so-called generations after will never stop. Yeah. Yeah, things need to change. We did have some really interesting conversations with Mahe in the video that we made for this episode and just in general about bisexuality as Mm -hmm. compared to other kinds of queerness. Yeah. And Mahe talking about how he felt like he didn't really fit in sometimes with either his straight friends or the queer community because he felt like he wasn't fully accepted by either. Biphobia is definitely prevalent in queer communities. And I guess as someone who identifies on the A spectrum, I feel like acephobia, biphobia, these are like sexualities that are just not as understood, especially mm. within the queer community, mm. and that can feel like that's a scarier place to be. Mm-hmm. Anything liminal is misunderstood in both queer and straight spaces, isn't it? That doesn't fit into... This or that. Yeah. Yeah, that straddles a couple of different things. Wink. (laughs) Drugs. (laughs) When Mahi was 25, he was in a relationship with a woman who fell pregnant, and sadly they lost their son Augustine at 24 weeks. Here, Mahi talks with his dad about how losing his son has impacted his outlook on life. It's a mixture of, obviously, obviously losing Augustine was like one of the biggest things that I've ever experienced. Also, me growing up, I don't know if I have what it is to be a father. You know what I mean? Like, it's just strange to, I don't know. You do understand the term of... um, there's no book they can teach you. Yeah, well, I don't know, because, like, when... So when when Augustine died, eh, it was, like, I don't know. It's hard to talk about. I think about it a, a lot. And um, I don't know. I just... Because I just didn't have, like, a proper upbringing, I don't know if I could... If I have what it takes to be a father, even if I wanted to. This is if I can talk about faith as well. I, I know that's one of your hardest things and about um, when Augustine died because I know you question, question about God and why, why it happened to you. And I can't, I can't answer that question. That'll be left to you and, and to a time that's your thing. But I had already prepared myself to be a dad, eh? And I feel like I, I, I put everything into it and then it just didn't happen. And then I... I, I, st- I think it's um, when we mentally and physically prepare ourselves to be a parent, we just kind of forget there's, there's other factors around. It's not just about you being a parent. You know, they talk about to raise a child takes a village. And maybe because you, you know, when you grew up, it wasn't the ideal. 
that you needed to think there was a soul on your shoulders to be the good parent? Did I hold on when I had you? Well, I guess your legal age was 19, but I guess you were younger than that. No, no, I was 20. Yeah. When I had you. Yeah. So at 20, I didn't even know what it was to be a father. And you talk about my relationship with my father, I didn't know what it was, what, what if I even had what it took. Yeah. You know, the mind at that time, when your mother's pregnant, I, it, was, it didn't really sink in until you were born. But that was, I was thinking, and my heart was, my heart went out to you about when Augustine died because I knew you were literally shattered and you were, you wanted so much to be a dad. But you also know that that hasn't changed for you. You can still be a dad. I don't know. I, 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 but see, that's the, you, you, you don't know. None of us know that we're going to be a great dad. You know, I don't know. I was gonna, I'm not a great dad. I don't know if I'm going to be a great dad. But it's also part about to be able to go there. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. You can't say I'm never going to be it if you don't go there. You went there, yes, and you had all. The- I, I don't know if I could. I go through that again if it happened again, and that's that's what that's what actually beats me up because. So if I can share this, so. How many of us, how many did Mahi and Naima have? How many children did they have? I know they had like children that were stillborn and miscarriages. Yes. So for me. I don't I was, know if I can put myself through that. Again, like it, it was too hard for me then hmm. and the possibility. It's, I think about it every day. Yeah. I haven't got over it. And it's hard. But I'm, what I'm trying to share with you is about Naima. Because if, if all the babies were born, I think there would have been nine of us. Yeah. I would have been probably about the third, the third oldest. Yeah. And that's the same thing, being our young and nine, and then we and then there was one after me and a couple after Isi. But what I'm trying to say is about even though, and those losses were devastating for my mum, like the two before me. Yeah. And that I and I don't know there was two before you. Yeah. So that's why that's why my mum was happy that I was just happy all the time. Yeah. Because she'd already lost two. Yeah. She was just happy that when I was born I was healthy and I would be a happy child. Yeah. And that was enough for her. Thinking about the losses as well. I can't imagine why my mum would want to have she already had two. Yeah. I'm the third one. Why would you still want to go through. She's way tougher than me. I don't think it's, it's about toughness, but it's also about what we believe we still have to offer. You're questioning about whether you're going to be a great dad. You need to get there. None of us uh, are going to be great dads. We become great dads. And that's the key word, we become. And my heart, Bleeds for you because of that. Because I know you can be a great dad. Yeah. And I know how much Augustine would, and because he is your first and he would be, and the cuts are deep. But the journey to become a dad is a journey. <sighs> yeah, I don't want that journey. Eh? <laughs> no. And it's and it's time. If it was if it was easy, what what value would you place on it? If it was easy to become a dad. You've obviously become a great dad because you have all these things you can lecture me on now. Just just imagine that. Just imagine the the scrapes and the cuts that I bear to be able to get there. Do you think this is true, what Tui says about no one knows how to be a great dad? You just become one through trying? Absolutely. Do you think that it's true about, like... No one knows how to be a great daughter. Mm-hmm. No one knows how to be a great partner. Well, I think it's like those things aren't end points that you mm. one day are like, now I'm great at this. Mm. It's like an ongoing thing. And I'm just in awe at like how you can hear 
the journey that they've been on and are still going on Mm. through this conversation and through the series as a whole. Like I think we go through so many themes where people talk about identity and belonging and racism and uh, all the different topics that we've been able to touch on. But like one thing that's in every single episode is like the journey of being a parent because that's the whole setup of this podcast. And just to hear the different ways that the parents are still learning in every episode. I think we have been really blessed this season to have families who are in process of a few different things. Mm. Like they have very active like disagreements or Mm. things where they don't quite meet on the same page and they've been generous enough to share those with us on the podcast. So home for me now is in my own space because I've created my own home. But if I'm talking past tense, home for me was with Naima. That's the home that I knew. That's the home that I, I know. But yeah, home for me now is like, it's not even the area. It doesn't have to be the town or the township. But just being in my own space is home for me. So just like how we started was... My journey, I was born in Tonga, raised in New Zealand, grew up in New Zealand. I consider New Zealand home. I consider my home is where me and my my children and wife are. That's my home. I love living in New Zealand. New Zealand I call home. Yeah, if I'm honest, I don't know if I call New Zealand home. I don't know if I, it's home for me because I can live anywhere but feel at home in my own space. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that's, see, that's basically the joys of travelling around the world while you're, still, <laughs> while you're still single and have no children. Everywhere is your home, but for me, I've only known two places, probably New Zealand, Tonga, and I love being in New Zealand. Mm, could have been Hawaii, who knows? Yes, and then if I was living in Hawaii, I would probably have untold other problems there. And But then, like I said, I wouldn't change the life that I have or the journey I had to get here. I just want to say I love you, Dad. And thank you for doing this. It means a lot to me. And so with that, we just want to say a huge thank you again to Tui and to Mahe for having us during what was an incredibly difficult time. And we just want to acknowledge again the passing of Lovi. And we are so sorry for your loss. And this episode concludes our third series and possibly concludes this podcast forever. It's been a really big journey. You know, life has not stopped throughout the making of this podcast. Mm -hmm. And it does feel surreal to be at the end of it. Yeah, I think you and I have grown and changed in lots of different ways since 2019 when Mm, we started. Oh, God, yes. The landscape out there for immigrant families has also changed in different ways since then as well. Not dramatically. It's not like life is all rosy now. Lots of things are a lot worse in some ways. Mm. I think the discourse around what it means to be from an immigrant family here in Aotearoa is starting to change and I hope that that opens up the way for even more nuanced tellings and stories and I do think storytelling is such a powerful tool for creating change and Mm. people don't even notice that and this is a radical act, like storytelling is a radical act and even though in some contexts this is just a podcast. We hope that it is not just a podcast. It just means so much for us to have been able to do this work that like appeals to us on so many different levels. Like it's comforting to hear these stories and it's also just extremely vital. And those two things I think like can exist in one project and we hope that they have existed here. I think it's important to acknowledge also just through just through the seasons, how important it is for us as Tawiwi or immigrants to this whenua, to Aotearoa, to never forget our place here and what we are complicit in and what we benefit from through the legacy of colonisation. And I think we have heard so many different families who are part of the podcast acknowledge that in different ways Mm. and hope that we've shown some way for our communities to come together and acknowledge each other, even though it can be difficult at times. Cut out the middleman, I say. Cut out the coloniser. Yeah, exactly. The more we can do that, the better. (laughs) 
We also wanted to say a really big thank you to the people who have been with us on multiple seasons. Um, Joey, our sound recordist, is like a really integral part of this podcast. He is like impossible to dislike. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And he just sort of like brightens up the room Mm. and I think that he's part of what makes families feel so comfortable to share with us. Mm. Just really good at his job and lovely to work with. We wanted to say thank you to Tal, to Shantani and Shalina. They compose the music for the podcast and the videos. After we finish every episode, we email the families and get them to send us music that reminds them of home. That is what Tal composes the tracks around, so it feels like really a part of the story as well. And also just lovely, wonderful people, very inspiring artists. And we wanted to say a really big thank you to Emmy. I love this job because we get to work with Emmy. Mm. Well, for a lot of reasons, but also Emmy's just like so much a part of this and really, really useful in the room when Julie and I are going back and forth (laughs) and not making any sense. And Emmy always makes sense and makes us sound good. And also just thank you to Julie for working with me me for so many years. Thank you for putting up with me. (laughs) My awkwardness in the recording booth. (laughs) I think this job has, like, really shown me, like, what I love and what I care about, and you're just a really big part of that. Same. I I wasn't prepared to say all this, and now you've just taken me off... I can't even think of the word to say, off the the cuff. By surprise. Um, But, yeah, obviously all that you bring to this project and how articulate you are and how (laughs) deeply you think about things has challenged me and helped me grow as well, so... Just a whole love fest right here. Oh, my God, we need to stop. Again, to all of the families who have been with us for three seasons, we have been so blessed to see our own selves reflected in your stories. Mm. And it is such a deep honour to be able to share your stories. This podcast itself isn't any kind of an end point. Mm. It's just one small offering into the conversation Mm -hmm. and there should be so many more and it's not done full stop (laughs) (laughs) you can check out photos and videos of all our families on Facebook at where are you from really on Instagram at convos with my online at tahi.fm or rnz.co.nz forward slash conversations or follow the podcast on all major podcast providers. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was created, produced and directed by Julie Zool and Saray De Silva. If you wish, you can follow us at Saray De Silva or at Julie Zool with two U's. Location recording by Joey Siasoko. Sound post-production by Emmy Pagoni. Music composed and produced by Tal, Shantani and Shalina Sandrin. And videos are edited by Josh Young. Our cover image is illustrated by Nga Mutani Jones and designed by Sonia Milford. A big mihi also to Tim Burnell and Jody Huani from RNZ Commissioning. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was made possible with the support of New Zealand On Air. He nai ipurangi tēnei, mā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.